Hi, this is Brian Frederick, principal with AWH, and you are listening to Mid-Market Growth, a podcast about growing mid-market companies. Hi, this is Ryan Frederick with AWH, and this is another episode of Mid-Market Growth, a podcast about growing mid-market companies. With me today is a uh, long-time, long-time listener, uh, first-time guest. I say that a little bit in jest in, in that Nick's probably never actually listened to any of the, the podcast episodes. But Nick and I used to run around and run into each other randomly at, at events and, and things. And we would end up hanging out together mostly because he realized how cool and interesting I was. Um, and then, and he, you know, and he would make me laugh occasionally. Nick, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Ryan. I I have listened to a couple episodes, but I always listen to Ryan Frederick. And uh, note for all of the all of the listeners, I am hilarious, and Ryan laughs at all my jokes. Uh, okay, that, that is true. Nick is actually very funny. That's why you know we were we would find our way to to end up in the same corner in an event or something that we were at together um, as we were um, maybe making fun of some of the other people that were there. Never. Okay, we've had a little bit of a, a, in all transparency, we've had a little bit of a technical glitch on my side. It says that Nick is offline. Nick is not offline. He can hear me. I can hear him. So we are going to go full speed ahead uh, into this conversation around customer experience. And I should do like a really official introduction too. This is Nick Glimsdahl. Um, and Nick, if you can say more, you know, about your background and who you are, Nick creates a bunch of content himself. He's written four books. Some of which you might, you know, if you buy one, you might want to slam it on the ground and say, hey, the, you know, there isn't as much here as I thought there was going to be. Nick shared a story with me prior to us, you know, uh, turning on the mic. So about uh, uh, one of the, the comments from one of the books on, on Amazon, Amazon, presumably, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So let me start by saying um, I host a podcast called Press One for Nick. We focus on customer service and customer experience professionals. Anywhere from international hostage negotiators to people who ran Magic Kingdom at Disney, and that's anywhere in between that. I am the director of contact center solutions at VDS, and I have written a handful of books of reasons not to focus on customer experience, employee experience, um, sales experience, culture, customer journey, etc. There are to be thought provoking with questions, uh, but most of them are functional notebooks. And so they are lined paper on most of them. And uh, somebody sent me a nasty gram on Amazon saying that this is all but a functional notebook. And it was a nice little video that they added as well. Uh, so I got a one star there, but uh, I'm in a five star in Ryan's heart. So that's all that matters to me. That is all that matters. But, it, it, you know, nicely that uh, he took a video of it so that he could, you know, um, you know, be part of, of documenting that not only, you know, in, in text, but video. That was, that was very gracious of him. Very, very classy. Yeah. So you're knowledgeable of all these things. Experience is experience. I, I'm not sure what the plural of experience is are. Um, so we're off to a really good start from that perspective, but customer, we're going to focus on customer experience for mid-market company leaders and customer experience has never been more, sort of elusive now than it's ever been, right? Customer expectations are super high. There are the challenges of them engaging with companies like Amazon and other big companies and the power of systems and processes and people and other things that they can they can throw at the customer journey and customer experience. 
So how can a company, especially a mid-market company, sort of figure out what's the right heft and intention for them to bring to be bringing to customer their customer experience and to know where that threshold is of we're investing too much to get too much you know customer value and appreciation and satisfaction in return for our level of of, of attention and investment is is there a threshold and a, and a line where it doesn't make sense to be trying to you know recreate what Amazon's done and to do something that's appropriate for your size company well, I think you touched on it uh, at the very beginning on this on this comment is customer experience. Uh, customers' experiences are the highest that they've ever been, and it's only going to increase. And so, I think you have three options as a as a company. You can either overwhelm your customers by providing them. You know, people say surprise and delight. I I don't like to be surprised, but I like to be delighted. You could be underwhelmed, which is, um, you know, they didn't meet my expectations. The price sucked. The It was very, I had a ton of friction. Or you could just be whelmed. And <laughs> nobody wants to be <laughs> whelmed. Hey, how was your service? Oh, I was fine. Uh, a buddy of mine says fine is the F-bomb of customer service. Uh, so, you know, when it comes to being Amazon, uh, nobody's going to compete with Amazon. Uh, except for people who get acquired by Amazon, i.e. Zappos. Uh, another friend of mine, uh, his name is Z, uh, he's like, you don't have to beat Amazon, you just have to beat the D- the BMV. He's like, don't, don't be absolutely awful and stand in line and add a ton of friction, but identify where you are today, uh, truly walk in the customer's shoes, you know, one example I shared right before we started was was the pebble versus the marble approach is, you know, if you're walking down the beach and you're going into the parking lot, you can uh, and, and you don't have sandals on, you have uh, tennis shoes on, which would be semi silly, but you'd walk into the parking lot and you have uh, sand in your shoes. It's uncomfortable ish. You know that there's a difference, but you're not going to typically take your shoes off right in that uh, parking lot, shake them out and keep on moving. Um, however, if there continues to be more and more friction for the customer, i.e. the rock gets bigger and it turns into a marble, that uh, the more friction there is on the customer, the, the higher probability that they are going to stop, take their shoes off on that journey and um, shake out what they had in their shoes. And so I'm not going to give a, a, a percentage that you need like marketing, right? People always say, oh, you need to spend 10% on marketing of your total budget uh, for marketing to uh, for the business. I'm not necessarily going to say that. I would say truly understand what that customer journey is. Um, walk in the shoes of those customers. Identify what the biggest impact is for the least amount of cost. They're not, I don't think you should spend uh, $100,000 on something that isn't going to uh, solve your business outcomes and it's not going to identify and improve the customer experience and or the employee experience. Yep, well said. Does the type of company in and the type of product service, how much does that impact the customer experience in, in your mind? If, if you're a customer that's buying an industrial part you know, for, for some sort of a backhoe, how much does that impact the, the customer experience? experience expectations versus someone that's buying, you know, um, a new Wi-Fi router 
right, for their home and who's a fairly educated, you know, customer around that. And let's say that both are, are, are educated, right? But the, the, the product is very different. The end use is very different. The, the environment that it's going to be used in is very different. Do you see much of a difference in, in the customer expectation in different types of buying environments? I would say that, let's say that you're selling a product or service in the backhoe or you're selling a, a wireless router. We are all consumers in other things. And we all un- identify what those experiences are in other products. So we all buy a microphone or we're buying a speaker or we're buying internet or we're buying... Uh, you know, a flannel shirt, we all have an experience and, you know, specifically as we go through uh, Black Friday or coming through and in, into Cyber Monday, we identify where those friction points are. Uh, I think that maybe somebody who has maybe the more of the manufacturer side has um, maybe a little bit more friction and they're more willing to have that friction. But let's say that's another company comes by and it's not a monopoly and they have somebody that says, hey, you know what? I have the exact same product. I'm a, I'm a value-added reseller and I can sell you this exact widget that's maybe a little bit less cost. I give you free shipping and I'll come over and install it for you versus the opposite. You start doing that and identifying saying, hey, this is how I can improve my business. This is how I can reduce the friction on my side from that manufacturer where I don't have to go on and hustle and negotiate pricing or shipping every single time. I don't have to fight over an invoice. I'm going to come back to that as a somebody in the manufacturer space and saying, this is how I can uh, reduce some of the friction on the employee side so I don't have to figure it out. So I would say that there's a little bit, maybe a, a little bit of a difference, but I don't think that there's going to be uh, enough of a difference as the customer's expectations consistently increase. Makes sense. You referenced the um, sort of human component of it, of of someone getting better service from um, one company versus another company. And and, um, many companies and and many companies in the mid-market are trying to automate and augment their team members in providing a better customer experience. Automation can be tricky though, because when, as the customer, we're feeling over automated, that makes that, that, that degrades the customer experience. So if you're, if you're the leader of a mid-market company and you're thinking about automation, whether that's some AI thing, whether it's a chat thing, right? Whether it's, it's informing your team better so they can provide a better experience to customers through more data or, or experiences or what have you. How do you think about that threshold of automation that, that is additive and not subtractive to the experience? I believe that you need to meet the customer on the channel of their choice and solving them in that channel in the least amount of effort. When it comes to self-service, sometimes I just want to uh, chat with somebody, either SMS or chat. And if it's not with somebody with a human being, but with a automated uh, knowledge base or frequently asked questions, and I'm saying, where is my order? Here's my order number. Uh, or it looks like I need to reset my password because I'm having an issue. Send that automation through an email, help me reset a button. So I'm not having to jump on some uh, 
saying, hey, your call is very important to me. However, please wait for another 49 minutes while I try to reset your password. And, and all I need is a human being. I just want to reset my password and move on. When it comes to automation, I don't think you should automate everything. I think you should automate the routine. I think there is the mundane tasks that happen every single day that can find ways to drive efficiency for the employee. The employee hates doing the mundane tasks. They hate the autom- the, the the routine basic stuff. They're like, you know what? They're paying for me for X amount of money. Here's my specialty. Why do I continue to have to repeat this task over and over and over again? If there's ways to do that, then there's going to provide a higher more time for that human to human interaction, more more time for that empathy, more time for that high touch, more time to answer that question in the channel of their choice if they need to speak to a human. If they need to speak to a human, typically it's there's it's very escalated and they are on fire about something or it's very personal to that person. And so you want to make sure that there's plenty of time to um, to solve that problem with that human to human at the right time, not every time. A company in the mid-market space, many of them have been built on um, service and high touch. And um, that's and, and to some degree, that's one of the reasons maybe they haven't outgrown the mid-market and are still sort of a, a mid-tier size company. And th- their value proposition to their customers and their belief to themselves is we've existed as long as we have, and we've had the success that we've had because we provide a high level of service, high level attention to our customers. That often makes those mid-market companies a little bit resistant to automation, self-service, et cetera. How would you counsel a mid-market company leader who is, who is, sort of standing on the bedrock of high touch, high service. That's why we exist. That's why we will continue to exist a hundred years from now in a changing landscape of customer uh, expectations. So what I would say to that specific company who has that mindset is Albert Einstein once said that the problems that exist in the world today cannot be solved by the level of thinking that created them. And it's, I think that they, the high touch should be there for the right reason at the right time. If for some reason that somebody's like, I always want a human being interacting with all of my customers. Great. At least you know that the option is there. If for some reason you would ever want to change that. If the cost per interaction is way too much. What you can do in the meantime is there's a difference between front end automation and back end automation. Uh, you can do a lot of the backend automation where the customer has no idea what's going on and that it, it has to do with the workflow of, of that customer journey. So when something, the, the if then statement, right? If, if, if they're on this workflow and this happens, then the email or text goes out and saying, Hey, here's a notification number. It looks like uh, sending out a notification for a task. There's a lot of things that can happen or even in customer service. What is that next best action due to machine learning or or artificial intelligence that's giving them recommendations to say or or do or automate? Or maybe it's a script that somebody's like, hey, thanks for calling, um, you know, Amazon Web Service. 
they're not, or thanks for emailing us or thanks for chatting us. It's, there's a bunch of scripts that they're following and some of them comes with next best actions. They're not necessarily a human that's interacting with this and typing with, with two to 10 fingers back to the customer. Yeah. Thanks for that. I think that that's where a lot of mid-market company leaders find themselves is they've built the companies based upon a, a high level of service and they're a little bit risk adverse, you know, around, you know, uh, some, some things that take them away from that foundation. Um, and, and I think that now the flip side of that is we also have a lot of companies across the spectrum of company size, but certainly in the mid market as well, that are gathering as much data as they can possibly gather about their customers and about transactions and about, you know, digital activity, et cetera. And, and many of them are now sort of drowning in that data or maybe using the data inconsequentially, right? And, and it, to no real end. And so how do you think about collecting the right data to solve, you know, a, a real friction point and then to be able to take action on it versus becoming really good at collecting data and developing a data repository that you then don't get much out of? It's a really good question. I think people, I think organizations are starving for insights. And I think that they're surrounded by data, right? So you're surrounded by data. You, there is data available. Sometimes it's not the right data. Maybe it's not clean data, but they're, they're still looking around and saying, man, I wish I had enough information to make an educated decision. And so they, they are starved by the insights of not receiving that information at the right time or, if at all. And um, uh, there was a guy named uh, Edwards Deming, I think. He says that without data, you're just another person with an opinion. <laughs> and uh, I think it's it's interesting because if you're not making uh, decisions, making decisions based off of the data, then you're just going based off of hunches, right? It's I think that going back to what I said a few questions ago was you need to create dashboards that drive business outcomes. And both customer experience, customer uh, customer service, or contact centers, they have a wealth of knowledge that must be shared across the business, not just in in this little nugget uh, in their little department. They need to share, hey, here's I had an issue, and that issue created this many interactions, and here's how we solved it. Let me go back to marketing and saying, don't put that promo code out there because it was wrong, and here's the things that we should be doing about it. Um, if there is uh, maybe you're focusing on customer lifetime value. Maybe you're focused on fo- focusing on other things. But if you're not sharing it with the business, they're ne- not necessarily making data-driven decisions across holistically. They may be making those data-driven decisions in those individual departments. And like I said, they're just making hunches. Hunches will not deliver the experience that your customers expect. And you're going to continue to be more like your competitors than you are uh, being as a differentiator on that experience. This is a good segue to the customer journey is long. Even inside, and, and before we started recording, we were sort of using the analogy, well, you know, let's just say it's 100 steps, right? From, you know, company product service awareness to through, you know, n- now support, right? They've purchased something, 
they, they've they've used something, you know, now they're they're through to support. Is there a way? So that encompasses everything from marketing all the way to support. Sales might be included. Digital commerce might be included. The shipping might be included. The unboxing experience is part of that, right? The onboarding process, if you're a software product company, is part of that. Service delivery, if you're providing a service, et cetera. So that's a pr- in, 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 there's a lot of components and a lot of steps, right? Where things can either go well or things can fall apart. And if one thing falls apart significantly enough, it can wash out, you know, all the rest of the things that, that went well. Is there a way to bucket th- these things and to think about, do you have to think about them holistically if you're the leader of a company or can you think about, well, if we, if we get the, sales experience and the marketing experience right first, right? Then we'll deal with the other stuff later. Can you bucket this stuff and and tackle customer experience in various disciplines and areas? Or do you have to look at it holistically and say, we've got we've got to tackle this all together or we, we might be creating a worse customer experience because we now we might have a terrific unboxing, you know, experience, but our support sucks, right? Or we've got a great marketing experience, but our delivery piece, you know, is, is, is less than stellar. How do you think about the holistic thing and whether you have to, you know, sort of take, you know, a big bite of the apple or can you take smaller bites of the apple? Great question. I I would say that if, if you don't know the customer journey, you can't necessarily identify what the holistic journey is. If, if it is a hundred steps, it might not be a hundred steps 90 days from now. Hopefully you're reducing those steps to drive a better experience and drive efficiencies and make more money. I would identify what that journey is if, and what that looks like and break it down into that customer journey. From there, I would align those departments and measure them on that customer experience. Most organizations fail to do that. They say, Hey, we're going to focus on customer experience today and or moving forward because that's the cool thing to do. That's not necessarily the right approach. I think that you are aligned with going back to business outcomes. I think if you are aligning business outcomes or aligning customer experience with the business outcomes and you're saying, this is adding friction to our customer experience. This is where it breaks down. This is where we're we're getting so many leads by marketing. Uh, by our landing page, by our social, by this amazing podcast, and uh, by Ryan coming out and speaking. And now from there, it's I'm reaching out and getting 100 people a month to pick up the phone or have lunch with me or grab a Zoom. From there, it goes to closing the sale. How long did they stay from that sale to customer through that customer success. Maybe it goes to the account manager. Did we promise what we're going to say from the sales to the account executive? Did we implement it correctly? How long are they going to stay? I think what is the friction points? What is the customer lifetime value? Is a sales rep, I think where organizations typically get it wrong is sales say, I'm going to razzle dazzle you for the next three to three months to 12 months on a, on a SaaS product. And as soon as I get, as soon as I close this and and there's ink on paper, 
I'm going to transition you to the implementation team. I'm going to transition you to my AE because I no longer get paid on this opportunity. I could care less if if it's successful or not. What if that person or that sales rep got a consistent reoccurring revenue on the success of the project and the lifetime value of that customer? Same with um, any other department where, you know, maybe it's retention. If if uh, the AEs are doing what they need to do and they're driving business results for the customers that are just selling a product or service, maybe they're going to drive more business forward and they're measured on the success and the retention of that customer, not necessarily on uh, did you have so many meetings with them? Did you upsell and cross-sell sell them to to meet your quota? Uh, there's there's so many different ways to approach it, um, and you know if that didn't answer your question, maybe maybe help me out and ask a different one. No, I like that though. It, it, there's uh, this this concept that you're referencing is is tie compensation to specific customer experience outcomes that you as a company have determined are your your keystone customer experience um, pillars, right? That, that, that I, I used keystone mm-hmm. and pillar in the same, you know, sent, sentence. I, those, I actually know the difference between a keystone and a pillar, but I ran out of, I ran out of big words. So I had to use both of them in the same sentence. Um, but tying compensation, right. To the, these desired customer experience outcomes is an interesting, is an interesting concept. And, and I'm, I don't see a lot of companies doing that. Do you see a lot of companies doing that? No, I, honestly, that's how how I am uh, compensated. I, I get uh, full transparency, right? I get compensated of the lifetime of the customer, not necessarily saying, hey, here's a big lump sum at the very beginning. And it's it's I'm always going to do what's right for the customer. And it's also a benefit that I get I get paid uh, accordingly to focus on the customer's lifetime value, not on um, trying to make that initial sale. Uh, the more that you focus on the customer, the more that they're going to, uh, more that they're going to want to use you as a trusted advisor, as the as the Sherpa of the world, as the Yoda, uh, to guide them to that next step, help them see around the corner as a trusted advisor, um, come to you and maybe of things of products or services that you don't sell to introduce you to others, and they're always going to come to you because somebody else is going to try to poach them consistently. But if you're adding more value than just the product or service that you're con- you can sell and just hitting a, a checkbox, uh, they're going to stay with you longer. Continuing on that compensation for customer experience success uh, train of thought, have you seen companies effectively tie customer experience outcomes to team member evaluations, performance, et cetera. Because one of the things that I also think is is lacking is the uh, companies are often su- surprised when a, a strategy or an initiative to improve customer experience doesn't actually really move the needle. And, and I'm not a huge fan of, of NPS. I think it, it it's kind of a, a vanilla um, measurement that uh, I, I think maybe had some purity and value at, at some point in the past. And then, and then as we are wont to do as humans, we've sort of bastardized it and I'm not sure it's that valuable anymore. Um, 
but companies seem to struggle with with you know whether whether it's whether it's literally customer support or it's um, marketing or sales or delivery or what have you tying the activities of a particular department and a particular job to a better customer experience and then increased revenue, increased profit, et cetera, because it still remains very tactical of we asked you in your job description to do these, these 12 things. You did the, those 12 things. So success, even if those 12 things didn't equate to the company being more successful, customers being happier, customers buying more, are you seeing a shift where th- th- there's some attachment to job performance, job activities to actually bettering the customer experience and and then team members being measured on those things? So, yes, I, I would caveat that by saying the, I've, I've tried to say this um, throughout the episode so far is, and I think it's very important because customer experience, some, some companies or some, individuals or leaders in customer experience talk about the the pixie dust and fairy tales of customer experience hey we're going to do customer experience today here's the glitter bomb <laughs> that we're going to deliver and it's going to be amazing today we're going to be good at customer experience a, yeah starting today let's do this air high fives everybody right and it's it's great but if it's not aligning with business outcomes then the leadership's not going to care about it. The shareholders are not going to care about it. And if they don't care about it, it's not going to work their way on down. If they're not measured on it, they're not going to care. They're saying, hey, you know what? I need to work on doing these five things for my annual bonus. And those in, in the sixth thing or the seventh thing isn't customer experience or aligning it with the business outcomes, which focus on the customer experience then they're just going to do their five things. They're going to keep their head down. They're going to put the horse blinders on and they're run as fast as they can in the direction that can, that's going to benefit them the most. But if you flip the script and you say, what's going to benefit the customer the most, because that's going to benefit the employee the most and the company the most, there's a better way to approach it. You know, it's it's interesting you mentioned MPS. Uh, so I interviewed friend Re- Fred Reichold. He is the founder of the MPS and he's oh, like, geez. you know what? Send Fred I, my I'm apologies. Gonna, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's going to get better. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, he said, uh, "I just, I just want to let you know that everybody is doing NPS wrong." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, well, <laughs> tell me more about that." And he was like, "There's a difference between little NPS and big NPS." And I was like, "And I didn't really." There's a whole uh, video series on it, but he was basically like, "You know what? It's not just about, um, you know." you know, with, with CSAT it's, or, or NPS it's, would you refer us to somebody else or one out of 10? How are we doing? He's like, if you're not showing the actionable insights of doing something, uh, a number doesn't matter. Uh, a 10 doesn't number, a, a referral doesn't matter. It's what would make you refer us to somebody else? Uh, would you, and I like the question sometimes that I get on like airlines or is, is would you, would you hire the person that you worked with? And I'm like, Ooh, I like that one. But it's, it's interesting that Fred kind of is now going through this journey. He's, he's made enough money and, uh, and, and can get transparent enough where he's like, uh, Hey, you all are doing it wrong. And there's a better way to approach this. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. So he's saying that, that what's been lost as, as it's gotten eroded is the action part of it. And NPS was always meant to be, 
you're learning the things th- that you can you can act on th- that would convert into something that would be of meaning uh, value for you and that would be of value for your customers and it's not just a data point which which you know saying it mm-hmm. makes all the sense in the world right because again who needs another you know who needs another data point that you don't take action on you know to our our conversation earlier yeah absolutely it's it's interesting and even he, he mentioned on our conversation that um he makes all of his uh purchase decisions on stocks based off of how customer centric uh organizations are if a, if an organization is customer centric uh he will likely invest in it if he goes and looks for the top 10 top 20 most cu- customer centric organizations he will invest in it he's like you know, in the last 15, 20 years, I've tripled the market value uh, because of the focus of that customer experience. He's like, I'm sure there's data somewhere out there, but um, he's like, that's there's enough value in that for me where I, it's not just face value saying, hey, look at us. We won another award that we had to pay for that says that we're customer focused, but being truly customer focused. Right. But you mean, you know, those JD power things and other things like that just aren't given to the, the most deserving. Well, it's the most deserving who spend the most amount of money. I believe, I think that's how it works. Nick, are you next going to say that Santa Claus isn't real? I mean, this is like, this is life altering. I know him. <laughs> well, so we've, we've gotten, we've gotten validation that Santa Claus exists and we, we, we've gotten, um, Proof that not all awards that say you're great, you know, at, at serving your customers are are as lofty as they might appear to be. And I got validation that, that uh, NPS has indeed become eroded and diluted and isn't uh, what what it was meant to be. Um, so this is a this is I feel really whole at the end of this conversation around all these validating points. As long as I get a Christmas present, uh, I'm gonna con- from from Ryan. I'm gonna c- continue to tell you that Santa is real. Okay. Well, um, it, it's um, it, it, it's on the UPS truck as we speak. So uh, I don't know when your <laughs> UPS driver typically arrives, but you know, for the next, I don't know. I'm, I mean, they're busy this time of the year. So for the next like three months, you should probably be at your front door around the time that the UPS driver arrives. Perfect. I look forward to seeing the tracker on Santa's sleigh. <laughs> Nick, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it very much. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to, for them to do that? Yeah, you best way to find me is on LinkedIn. Uh, and you can go to press1fornick.com. You can search on YouTube, press1fornick, or uh, just ask Ryan and he'll direct you in the right spot. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. You bet, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Mid-Market Growth Podcast from AWH. This is Ryan Frederick, and we will see you next time.